Brick Moon Fiction presents Fishing in the Desert by Rudolfo Serna Read by Nicholas Thurkettle The revolution will not be televised, not be televised, not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Gil Scott Heron Ignacio rested against the wood post of the bus depot that stood in a wasteland of rattlesnakes, coiled up hungrily as bands of coyotes whelped among challa and prickly pear cactus. The feral half-breeds were survivors, worshipped by Ignacio and his kind, considered kindred, as the beasts had yet to go extinct. Ignacio stepped across the rotted floorboards of the depot, looking out to where the pueblos had been relocated, placed in FEMA camps and crowded ghettos, as the great border wall towered impervious. With only the oil refineries and power plants remaining, and a constant buzzing of war drones ensuring that none of the hated race would ever cross the border again, he saw the dust trail from the tourist Humvees approaching. Behind the depot was an old billboard with smiling boys and girls in cowboy garb holding toy guns, shooting what looked like pink water into each other's mouths, as it had been some kind of advertisement for a soft drink. The surface of the billboard flaked and folded over at the corners with holes in their faces. The tourists wore fashionable outdoor wear and thick, smoky goggles that guaranteed protection from the harsh land. Staring out from their seats, perhaps overwhelmed, perhaps in shock of the frontier that spread out bright and vast, the wall gleaming with metal and concrete. The border wall extended from sea to sea, stretching through the evacuated southern district made of blowing sand. The migrations were halted, cleared of inhabitants, except for the workers in the refineries, those in hiding or the paying tourists fascinated with the tour guide's account of the giant wall, which was greater than all of the great walls that came before it. The converted Humvees would stop a mile from the wall so ecotourists could gaze at the monolith through high-powered binocs. Any closer than a mile from the border and they would be in the kill zone, for the drones overhead did not discriminate. The tour guide, for the second time that day, explained the wall's dimensions like it was some kind of natural phenomena. The Great Wall of Mexico is 2,000 miles long, rising 200 feet high, 20 feet thick, and going 200 feet underground, not nearly as long as the Wall of China at 13,170, but almost seven times higher, dwarfing the notorious Berlin Wall and the much more ancient Hadrian's Wall. It took 30 years to complete at a cost of $200 billion, with much of the cost absorbed by the industries that now occupy the southern district and due to the region's mega-drought, the resettlement of the border population, and the success of the wall, there are no more humans, legal or illegal, living in the southern district. And except for a relatively small workforce spread out in the industrial zone, we are the only ones out here, making this area one of the richest regions in the world to be relatively unaffected by rising tides, tornadoes, or hurricanes. Tourists soaked in the frontier's inhospitable air, hot and thick with dust, transmitting their experiences, receiving messages, forwarding on to another live feed to be experienced by others. The hardware strapped to their persons, always running, recording and processing. Ignacio was untraceable, feral. No tags, chips, or comm devices to track him, as his kind always were, trying his best to avoid the drones and satellites. His cloak was long and ragged, blowing about like spent aura. First making sure that the tourists' Humvees had gotten further away, he turned and headed for the dark fissures leading to Father's garden. The arroyo was still stained where water once ran. Tracks of lizards and birds came out from under desert shrubs, only for their tracks to be quickly covered with blowing sand. 
A hunter, Ignacio stepped lightly to avoid leaving tracks of his own, as he too was being tracked by eyes above. Shadows grew. Black rock dotted extinct shores as he disappeared into a narrow gully gouged deep. A crow hopped overhead at the edges while Ignacio traversed the rift, feeling safe in the planet's cracks. Until the land opened up onto a small canyon, he quickly scanned the ridges of the hilltops that tapered off with raised sediment, looking for threats, potential game hidden in thistle. Tufts of dried desert grass stuck out from mounds of stone, brushing his ankles as he sunk in the white riverbed. Ignacio approached the dome plastered with a mixture of straw and mud, a surface just slightly darker than the surrounding sand, with wood posts meant for tethering animals or tarps for shade. The structure looked abandoned, sitting next to boulders, dead challa, and shrub, camouflaging and disguising it in the riverbed. Ignacio could hear the chimes made of colored glass set in pieces of steel, hanging just outside a large arched window at the center of the mud dome. Slowly opening the wooden door, he did not want to bring attention to himself. Unable to keep the sound of the old door from creaking, trying to avoid detection, as was his way when moving across the surface. Father sat, barely clothed except for the white linen that covered below his waist, sitting cross-legged on the floor in sunlight coming through the window. The old man had been a cult leader back in the day of hyper-doomsday scenarios and back-to-earth movements that resembled all the other communes. His blue eyes radiated from a leathery brown face with a long silver beard that matched the thinning hair flowing past his shoulders. He had been an eco-revolutionist, promising freedom from corporate America by practicing permaculture, polyamorous relationships, and limited exposure to society, cyber and otherwise. He was like a lizard, bathing in sunlight. The tattoos on his body were random symbols and images, placed at different times in his life without any coherent theme. The work of multiple hands boring into his arms and chest with needles, a skull on his shoulder, an anarchy sign, a goddess with spread wings, horses on the back of his hands, a name across his bicep, maybe that of his child or lover, the words hunter-gatherer barely showing through the hair on his arm, the word coyote indicating allegiance to the feral hybrids that roamed the zone placed over his heart, acknowledging his own genetic make, the complicated equation of blood quantum that traced his particular migratory trail through the centuries. Father was thin but not sickly, taking in calories from his hidden machines. The old cult leader had power, sitting cross-legged as if receiving transmissions from distant towers outside the borders of the southern district, sitting in the center of sunlight and glimmering kaleidoscopic colors coming from the wind chimes washing across his face with each gust, while seemingly unaware of time in a blowing haze. Father hid the children of the coyote cult as humanity dwindled from the southern district. Some went underground, while most were carried away and would never be allowed to return. Ignacio watched the old man rising from a woven rug on the floor. Are you ready? Father said. I am. Well then... The old man stood up gracefully, surprising Ignacio as he always had with his speed and agility. He went to the windowsill, as the flashing colors of light reflected through the window where the cacti grew from a crack in the surface of the mud wall beneath the window, green heads staring up at him with red eyes and tiny white quills. He carefully plucked off one of the heads and placed it in a jar with dark, rich soil scooped from the cavity in the wall. You must be quick. I understand. Tell the others I love them. You should come with us, father. I am. Here. 
The old man smiled and held out the jar with the cactus and soil to Ignacio. Sit with me. Drink some water. Wait till night to leave, he said. Ignacio sat in the hot light with him, drinking from a ceramic cup, being careful not to drop any of it. Purple and red light of the wind chimes circling the white plaster inside, ringing wildly, swirling around him. The pleasant sound of the chimes beneath the engines of the killer drones fading overhead. When Ignacio woke, the old man was gone. Ignacio lifted the jar in the dark as the chimes fell silent, smiling, believing that father was inside. Nightfall came, and Ignacio walked towards Venus, and the coyotes sung in chorus at the last bit of twilight. In his cloak, Ignacio carried the genesis, as he had done many times before with the seeds of corn, beans, squash, and green leaves that had sustained them, smuggling life across the surface, given to them by the old man, carrying the cacti plucked from the mud wall. A red eye staring up from a green face, taking root, the power of the old cult leader embodied in the plant, a plant to be tended and harvested and, when the time came, to be consumed. Did you bring father? Dia asked. Yes. Dia reached up and kissed Ignacio on the lips. Thank you, she said. Taking the jar, looking at the red eye inside beneath the dim grow lights, the whispers of the pumps echoing, the garden reaching to the top of the cavern, on scaffolds of piping that held the hanging plants, the sound of water trickling down to where the fish frothed next to the surface of a pool as the pumps hummed, circulating the bodily waste of a thousand fish to roots of plants wading in the rows of pipes along the tunnels. As condensation harvesters on steel frames dripped drinking water into plastic containers, the Pueblo harvested food and traded for mechanical parts with others in the underground kingdoms of the southern district. The tech that tracked the living was left behind, as those underground salvaged what they could from above. Dia walked out to the light at dawn. The people filed out of the hole behind her through the small opening that brought them to a tree standing in the morning light. Even in the district that had been dammed up and allowed to die, the tree had found water. Searching out with its roots like tentacles pushing through dirt and rock, as its cells had been programmed to do eons before, reborn many times, those of the coyote cult gathered around the tree. Parts of it had already yellowed and dried and the rest of it would eventually die. Father had forbidden them to get into the trucks when the evacuations began as the government resettled their kind. Taking them by the hand, the cult leader had told them to hide, to run to the caves. Tell them what Father said, Dia told Ignacio. He said he loved you all. Dia reached out and grabbed a hold of Ignacio's hand. Was it worth going? One of the faces gathering under the tree had said, we had to fetch Father's soul. We are nothing without soul. Just animals like all the rest without soul, Dia said. We knew they would find us, and that we would have to move. Just like all the others who stayed too long, thinking they would never be found. Father told us this, looking at the other faces of those who had hidden when the trucks came. A baby started crying. Hands comforted the child as more faces gathered around the dying tree that had grown in the deep gully allowing only a sliver of sunlight through the surface of limestone. The tree once fed on the water that had collected in the stone beds, soaking into the aquifers gone dry, but there was still some water in the southern district that had not been dammed up, water smuggled in from under the wall in barrels, taken through toll booths set up by cartels, or taken from dripping water lines tapped into at some date earlier in the wall's construction. Even as tunnels collapsed, new ones were dug. 
pockets of life existed in all kinds of forms, some savage and bloody, while others functioned with their own forms of quasi-government. No one thought that they would be able to tunnel beneath the new wall, to go down beneath the deep foundations. In air-conditioned trailers, the pilots at their command chairs could not see all, could not know everything, despite their seemingly omniscient powers. Their reach did not extend so far and wide underground. They could only randomly blow up tunnels and caverns to kill those inside. Ignacio's little daughter ran towards him, and Ignacio had doubts as to whether or not he should have ever gone to the surface to retrieve the last bit of seed needed to make their ark whole before moving on to the next cavern. Satellites would eventually find a flash from a solar panel or wind turbine, no matter how deep the gullies and cracks went. The Pueblo had already been in the cavern too long. They would have to move on as the rest of their clans and families had been taken away, as the land lost its meaning and they would have no choice but to wander. Daddy, are they coming? Are they coming? Ignacio picked up his child. The night riders are upon us, but we will be swift and get away. Looking down at her, Ignacio tried to smile, referencing an old story from their library kept in trunks in a dry corner of the cave. And get away, Daddy. They won't catch us. No. No, they won't catch us, Ignacio thought. Maybe it would be better to give up. He looked at the tree. He looked at the crevices they had emerged from, so small that only one person at a time could get through. How bad had it been for the others in the camps, prisons, and cities? It was just news they had heard from those wandering the nexus of tunnels and caves about how the refugees suffered. We'll find the tree, Daddy, the little girl asked. Yes, my love. We will find the tree. Will we go to the mountains? Yes, we will get to the mountains. And we can stay in the caves? Yes, we can stay in the caves. I don't want us to die, the child said. And the father thought about how to answer. We will not die. We cannot die, remember? We will slip into the stream and be carried away, and we'll water other gardens, Ignacio said. Like seed? Yes. And will grow? Yes, baby, yes. Okay, Daddy. Dia stood beside them, comforting the child by gently rubbing her back as Ignacio held her. The soul of father had already been taken to a safe place. Kept in the jar, it would be carried with the seed bank, given light and water, with the rich soil of the old cult leader. Kept with the books, as they searched for a home, a new tree alive and strong. Should we just give up? Ignacio said quietly to Dia, unable to shake the fear he felt for them standing there, as if an explosion was about to go off. Give up? We will be imprisoned, split apart. We will never see each other again, Dia said. How far will we go? Ignacio said. To the end, until we are dead or found, until they take us screaming. The look in her eyes was angry and defiant. Ignacio smiled as he thought proudly. She is so strong, stronger than me. Will I scream when they take me, or will I just go, become chipped and logged in as a dissident, a foreigner, an illegal human? He looked at his child. He could not give up, no matter what. Tech fused with the pilot's head as if it had been born that way and it had grown with the skin, and the cyborg did not eat any more but took supplements as it sat at the screens, scouring the land for potential threats, scanning the desert for human life. The targets had been tracked. The spinning blades of the choppers had lifted off for the zone, 
Approaching at full speed, the squad was ready to go, being directed by the sentinels from their command posts. The squad would land and clear out the tunnels as they had with the others all along the southern border. They cinched up their armor and activated their recorders. Electric wizards spun their metal, fed mechanically in the towers of the Pentagon. The orders had gone down the line. Nuclear nightmare scenarios buzzed through silent desert air. Trains carrying commuters reading morning feeds, while burning oil filled up brothers and sisters serving the war effort against international terror out in the zone. A constant feed being received, war and misery, fashion and religion. Tunnels started since the wall was first erected, as the border was being secured and the migration patterns of certain animals were cut off. They were hunted, relocated, or dispersed, seeking survival, disappearing from the surface. Intelligence reports had estimated hundreds of tunnels that fed into the caverns. Then thousands of tunnels were suspected, all leading to a world underground. Wars broke out across the ocean on live feed. There weren't enough soldiers to stop the migrations from fallen capitals. Congress had no choice. Destroy the hated race. The secret of annihilation left off the news feed so the tourist would continue coming west to see the marvel on the desert plain. Trends and entertainment transmitted instead, along with the local disgrace and the latest misunderstood tragedy. Military planners contemplated poison gas, despite potential implications for war crimes. Pilots calculated a point of entry into what they thought was the location of a new underground cell, a gopher hole it had been called, determining what ordnance to be used, kill ratios and troop movements in the field. The target had been sighted and tracked a lonely figure swaying in desert gusts, hardly noticeable from space, unsure as to whether or not it was a threat, remaining under surveillance until the heat signature flickered and dispersed, and those sitting at the control boards could not tell where the phantom went, as strands of biosignature were all that remained, until going completely cold, calling such anomalies ghosts. Commands were given from the wizards in their towers. Kings tallied their take. Those in the silos of the base read the feeds of data through their eye screens, determining the threat as real, and the command was given to clear the hole. Pop goes the weasel, motherfucker! The pilots screamed as they dropped the stick and let the ordnance go onto their targets, avoiding the gas, preferring an airstrike. Father laughed from his hole at the sound of the bombs clapping outside the zone. At the tourist lodge, those inside could feel the rumble of the detonations and see the flashes of the explosions coming from the direction of the wall, stopping them for a few moments from entering their data. Ignoring the sounds that were usually only heard and seen on viewing screens, they went back to inputting, until they heard it again, finally going to the window, watching the barrage, recording the explosions on their devices, posting their experience of unexplained lights in the desert along the Great Wall of Mexico. The squad found the entrance, dimensions and vectors transmitted to them through their eyepieces. A gloved hand reached down, finding the crack in the dirt, sticking fingers in the crust of exploded earth. Explosions collapsed the hill, left craters, destroying whatever world was below. Rubble filled the tunnels. As the site was excavated with gloved hands, transmitting what they were seeing to the pilots connected by threads of chrome wire weaved tightly like braids from their steel cyber connections. Watching the empty spaces that held fasteners to the rock of the cave, removed with the scaffolding that had once been secured there. In the collapsed tunnels, the night riders searched for bodies, stepping on something slippery and soft, crushing it under their heels. Bending down, a gloved hand lifted a silvery red fish. 
half crushed, it was the only dead thing in the headlamp's glow. The wheels were pushed down the track, steel grinding steel, metal clanging as the Pueblo emerged with their library, seed bank, and plants that survived, even as they traveled underground with battery-powered lights that had to be recharged, coming to the surface like a leviathan seeking air. Fish in barrels hooked up to pumps with pipes cycling water to draping plants. Their whole existence would be keeping the pumps working, the water flowing, seeking a place where they could take father beneath a tree and pull him apart with their fingers, placing his pieces in boiling water. Drinking deeply, father would speak to them as the Pueblo would make music and dance. Escaping the camps and ghettos, where the hated race was chipped and tracked, given credits, surviving sickly on processed foods, the feed ticker taped repeatedly over and over again. You are free. You are free. You are free. Rudolfo Serna's Fishing in the Desert originally appeared in Brick Moon Fiction's anthology Revolution. It is one of many featured in the upcoming Brick Moon Fiction Annual, Volume 2, out later this month. Rudolfo Serna has a penchant for 70s horror B-movies, psychedelic doom metal, permaculture, and nature worship. A native of northern New Mexico, he's also a husband and a father, educator and coordinator with the MFA in Creative Writing program at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. His forthcoming novel, Snow Over Utopia, is due out with Reliquary Press in early 2016. He is the digital steward of the Mutant Root Continuum at mutantroot.com. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or visit us at our webpage, brickmoonfiction.com.